We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What's going on, everyone? Oregon fans, how we doing? Uh, thanks for tuning in to another episode of the Ducks Dish podcast. We are live in Berkeley at California Memorial Stadium. Uh, got a little bit of a new setup uh, for this show, seeing that I am on the road traveling for this game. Uh, if you guys follow me on Twitter, you know that I was in San Francisco to check out Jerry Mixon, the Oregon linebacker commit in 2023. Uh, so kind of a cool little deal, you know, get to do a little bit of recruiting and get to uh, hit the road. Shout out to my mom for letting me use her car uh, to come cover this Oregon game against Cal, uh, Oregon dominates Cal in this one 42 to 24 to come away with a big win uh, in week nine. You know, not a really uh, attractive game, so to speak, given uh, Oregon's last weekend against UCLA when they had college game day in town. Uh, you know, there was a lot more fanfare around that one, a lot more storylines, but all you can do is play the games that are in front of you, as we all know. And Oregon came out to Berkeley and took care of business. A little bit of a slow start in this one, seeing that Cal actually led this game three to nothing to start this one at the end of the first quarter. But uh, Oregon's offense obviously got going and they were kind of firing on all cylinders uh, as we got more into this game. Uh, but before we get too far into the show, just wanted to welcome you guys in. If you're just joining here on the live stream, youtube.com slash Oregon football max Taurus is where you can find me. Go ahead and leave me a comment or ask a question in the live chat and I'm going to do my best to answer it. If you're watching on replay, go ahead and leave me a comment there or ask a question. Always enjoy hearing what is on your guys's mind. But with all that being said, let's kind of just hop into a little bit more of this, uh, of this game and, and just give some more thoughts on, on what we saw here in, in Berkeley. I think the uh, story always starts with Oregon's offense. I believe it's seven straight games now that they have scored 40 or more points, uh, which is definitely a uh, solid stat you want to hear if you're Kenny Dillingham and the Oregon Ducks with this offense. Uh, and Bo Nix was, was really leading the way. So why don't we, why don't we just start off by talking about Bo Nix in this game against the Cal Golden Bears? Uh, because it was another solid game, another solid showing for Bo Nix. Um, let's look at his final stat line as I kind of navigate. I don't have my, my usual monitor on the screen, so you guys will have to uh, bear with me here. But final stat line for Bo Nix, 27 for 35, 412 yards passing and three touchdowns uh, against two interceptions. Uh, one of Both of those interceptions were pretty bizarre. Honestly, you saw that interception 
uh, on the pass that he tried to fire to Troy Franklin. The defender uh, deflected it and then was able to come away with an interception. And then his second interception was kind of in garbage time, if you want to call it that, uh, of the first half uh, against Cal. He, uh, he heaved a Hail Mary down the field, and they only had 10 seconds left. Uh, in the first half. So uh, not really going to fault him too much for that. But that was how he did through the air. And then on the ground, another strong day for him. 12 carries for 59 yards and three touchdowns on the ground. So six total touchdowns for Bo Nix. And if um, doing some mental math here, uh, close to 470 yards of total offense accounted for uh, Bo Nix just by himself. So the offense obviously starts with Bo Nix, and, and he's continuing to strengthen his uh, his Heisman resume. I think one of the interesting things that I t- I talked to Nix after the game when the, the reporters were talking to him at the post game press conference, and I asked him kind of how he has gone about just you know taking care of the ball better and finding the right time to take those calculated risks and, and take what the defense gives him at the same time. That's obviously the the tricky balance that you need to find as a quarterback. Uh, and he was saying that it really is tailored to the offensive scheme and kind of what Kenny Dillingham has has done as far as just making him comfortable in, in the in the offense. And he obviously feels really comfortable. He has a ton of confidence uh, running this Oregon offense, and it shows every week. Um, I think he did a really good job of improvising in this game, kind of finding that healthy balance between scrambling and um, also just throwing on the run. Uh, I think the Oregon running backs were obviously a, a really nice security link blanket for Bo Nix in this game, uh, seeing that they totaled for, I want to say, I think around 150 uh, receiving yards in this game. So Bo Nix obviously was in a, a groove all night with uh, with the running backs who had a really solid game running the ball a, as well. But Bo Nix, just uh, every week, he, he continues to impress, continues to uh, showcase his ability. 77% completion for a rating of 192.9 is what we're seeing on the, the stat sheet here. Um, but I think just the, the stock up has to be with, with Bo's legs, right? Bo has just been an absolute weapon when it comes to uh, running the ball. And, and I think that that's one of the biggest differences that we're seeing with this uh, Oregon offense this year from Anthony Brown to Bo Nix is that uh, they've obviously been able to pass the ball really well, but I think just when Bo is running it, it's a lot less predictable, and he's doing a really good job on, on these read options. A couple of his touchdowns were on read options today, so finding uh, the right, you know, making the right read, I should say, and finding the right time to to run the ball. Uh, he's obviously really comfortable sneaking the ball with the Ducks liking to go into uh, the QB sneak when they're inside the red zone, inside the ten, or just they need some some short yardage. So. Another great game for Bo Nix. There were also some other stats, actually, that I wanted to stats, achievements, accomplishments. Um, let me see what I can find here um, as I navigate uh, the Twitter sphere. Just give me a second here because the, the Oregon Athletic Communication always hooks us up um, with uh, some, some cool stats and, and achievements from, uh, from the game. So I'm going to go ahead and look those up right now. See if we can get, we're getting some more folks here in the live show. So thank you guys for tuning in. All right, let's see here. Uh, Bo Nix is the fourth Oregon quarterback with three passing touchdowns and three rushing touchdowns in a single game. And the first since 2009, the other three Oregon quarterbacks to do that. Joey Harrington on October 6th, 2001, Kellen Clemens on October 9th, 2004, and Jeremiah Masoli was the last quarterback at Oregon 
uh, to have three passing touchdowns and three rushing touchdowns in a single game on November 21st, 2009. So Bonex is just really the, the full package right now. Uh, let's see here. Also, the only quarterback since at least 1996 with multiple games with three rushing touchdowns and two passing touchdowns in the same season. So what's what's really interesting with Bo is that, you know, he's going to have an impact on a positive impact on the game, whether it's through the air, passing the ball or using his legs. And I think that's been one of the biggest turnarounds that we've seen since uh, since the season opener against Georgia is just how willing he is to use his legs and, and how Kenny Dillingham is calling the run plays as often as he is. Um, but Bo Nix is, is absolutely the, the heart and soul of this Oregon offense. And, um, I, I love watching him on, on a week to week basis. And, um, I know that he wants some of those red zone, uh, opportunities back for Oregon. Uh, the ducks weren't super effective in the red zone today. Uh, you know, just as an offense, um, let me pull up the stats here to see what their actual numbers were. Oregon went four for seven in the red zone, uh, starting off Bo Nix had that pass that was behind Troy Franklin. Uh, on fourth down when they were deep in Cal territory. So that's obviously not going to help. Uh, you had the, um, let's see, you had the uh, the fourth down run uh, from Jordan James that came up short. Um, and then I think that, where was the other interception? He had the the one at the end of the first half. And then that one to Troy Franklin where it was hit off, hit off the defender's hands. That was another, uh, I, I think those were the three uh, red zone attempts that came up unsuccessful for Oregon. Um, so you definitely need to get better at that. Um, five for 10 on third down and one for three on, on fourth down. And one of the interesting comments from, um, from Dan Lanning after this game was that he thinks that he's kind of happy that, you know, not happy that they didn't get those fourth down conversions, but just with how hot the offense has been lately for, uh, for Oregon to kind of get humbled a little bit, get their offense humbled, you know, just show that they're kind of human with how well they've been playing. So, uh, I know that both Lanning and Nix wanted some of those red zone opportunities back. I really don't fault Nix uh, too much for um, for those inter the interceptions today. Uh, Oregon continues to do a good ball, good job taking care of the ball. Ball security has been a huge plus for them all season, um, and and you like to see that. So those are kind of my some of my final comments on uh, on Nix and uh, just kind of what we saw from him so far. Uh, we got a comment here that says overall grade C minus, uh, overall grade, overall team grade C minus, giving Bo Nix a C plus. Uh, I don't know if I would agree with a C plus. I feel like that's a little harsh for Bo. Um, I mean, especially when you look at his numbers, and, and maybe the numbers don't tell the whole story, but um, he was asked to pass quite a bit 35 passes in this game, uh, over 400 yards through the air, and three touchdowns and 77% completion. I, I'm, I'm not sure that I would go with a C plus personally, especially when you factor in the, uh, the, uh, you know, impact he was able to have on the ground as well, running the ball, um, thought he was a really smart runner, uh, again. So I'm going to, I'm going to go ahead and, and respectfully disagree with the grades, but, um, we can talk about the defense a little bit more later in this show. Uh, I always like to get started with the offense and, and talking about kind of the story there. All right. Uh, will 77 says, give Cal credit. They played well. Yeah, Cal did play well. I mean, especially in the in the first quarter, I think that, you know, Oregon was shooting themselves in the foot a little bit, but uh, Cal did a good job taking advantage of what Oregon gave them. Um, I think that uh, they did a good job of trying to exploit Oregon in the passing game. Um, and uh, with the passing game, I think that that's kind of really all the Cal offense was. It was, you know, it was 
deep, deep passes that they would get to Sturdivant or to uh, Jeremiah Hunter. Um, and credit to those guys. There, there was some really talented wide receivers. Uh, I think they're definitely missing Nico Remigio. He was one of the really talented receivers for Cal last year. And now he's at Fresno State. So uh, even though they're pretty young, um, they also have Jermaine Terry, who's a talented local tight end uh, out of Richmond, I believe. He made a catch in the game. Um, but yeah, and then Jaden Knott was, was doing pretty well. I thought that Oregon did a, a decent job, you know, bottling him up for the impact that he was able to have in this game. Uh, Jaden Ott finished with on the ground. He had 14 carries for 57 yards. Cal as a team, as a team, Cal only had, uh, 74 rushing yards. So another really, really good performance by Oregon on the ground, defending the run game, uh, which I think is, is also impressive when you consider that they didn't have Taki Taimani. So uh, Keanu Williams was a younger defensive lineman for Oregon that really did a good job stepping up. Uh, Brandon Dorless spoke highly of him and, and how he's been able to grow since coming to Oregon and, and this season. He was a only he was in the 2021 class, so he's still a relatively young guy. hasn't played a ton of football at Oregon. Dorless also talking about how Keanu Williams is getting better at just playing low. He's a huge dude. You know, he's like six five, six six with with really long arms definitely in the neighborhood of 300 pounds. So Keanu Williams was a, a good performer for, for me today. Uh, really liked what I saw from him. And that front defensive line was definitely uh, a strong point for Oregon. Casey Rogers, Brandon Dorless. Obviously, we have to talk about DJ Johnson and, and the game that he had with two sacks. But in terms of giving Cal credit, yeah, you got to give him credit for staying around as, as long as they did. Um, the offensive line wasn't too strong for them. Although that being said, I feel like Oregon could have done a little bit better on the pass rush. You know, I don't want to be critical of the pass rush every week. Um, but I think given what we were expecting going into this game, I thought Oregon did a good job uh, getting some pressure on Plummer and uh, just handling business against that offensive line. They definitely want to have some of those explosive plays back. Uh, or 97035 gives this game an A-plus grade. Um, I know we're, some people are chiming in with, with grades here. I don't know if I would go an A-plus. I think that there were definitely some, some areas for Oregon to clean up. Um, you know, Christian Gonzalez had a, a deep pass uh, against Sturdivant that he surrendered. Uh, Triquas Bridges was getting picked on a little bit, but he kind of turned things around. Um, there were some missed tackles, too. Uh, I know that Noah Sewell, not Noah Sewell, Justin Flo had some missed tackles. Jeffrey Bossa um, didn't look super, super um, technically sound in, in this game. Um, but uh, And he actually got ejected for targeting uh, in the second half, so that was a bummer, but uh, Keith Brown made some good plays stepping up after Jeffrey Bossa got ejected. And then we saw a little bit of Jackson LaDuke as well. So Oregon getting some some of that depth getting tested uh, in this game without a doubt. <clears throat> All right, let's see. We got to talk about the Oregon running backs against Cal because these Oregon running backs were just absolutely, uh, you know, kind of the stars of the day for Oregon on, on offense uh, to an extent. Uh, just with some of the the numbers that they were able to put up, particularly uh, you know in the in the passing game. Uh, let's see, we're looking at Noah Whittington and uh, Bucky Irving as some of the the main stars for Oregon's backfield. Sean Dollars even got some some good uh, snaps today. Um, final receiving numbers for for Noah Whittington: five catches for 67 yards and uh, a touchdown. Uh, and he got targeted five times. Five targets for Noah Whittington out of the backfield. Uh, three for Bucky Irving, and he turned that into 61 yards and a touchdown. And then Sean Dollars, two targets for 48 yards um, with a long of 26. 
Um, so just the, the, the impact that they were able to have, I think so oftentimes you see that running back serve as the safety blanket for a quarterback and, uh, Bo Nix was definitely, uh, getting them involved. And I think that just the way they were able to take advantage of what was open against this Cal defense was, was awesome. Uh, I know that on, on Noah Whittington's, uh, touchdown, um, touchdown catch like that, that little, um, angle route. Uh, coming out of the backfield was wide open over the middle and, and they just kept going back to it. So I think every week that we watch this team, we know that Bucky Irving is the guy at running back for the ducks because he just, I think I tweeted out after he scored one of his touchdowns, just grow man strength. Cause Bucky Irving has just been an absolute stud for this team. Um, and I think just with the way that they were able to address the position after losing CJ Verdell and Travis die is, is remarkable. Uh, but what I was going to say is, as good as Bucky Irving has been, when Noah Whittington comes in, he has been a baller. He has been super, super effective for this Oregon offense. There's hardly any drop-off. I really like his vision. Both Bucky Irving and Noah Whittington have had awesome vision all season. Um, and I feel like some of the play-action looks were a little bit different. There was a little bit of a delay uh, in the backfield between um, between Knicks and uh, whoever the running back was. But how cool is it to see Sean Dollars doing um, doing his thing for Oregon, uh, given that he wasn't able to play at all last year due to injury, uh, and obviously it was a super crowded backfield. Um, I thought that uh, he's he's really making the most of his opportunities and of his touches when he does get into these games. So overall, I think that that Sean Dollars continues to be a, a major performer for the Ducks. Uh, I don't even think I talked about what his rushing numbers were. Uh, so Sean Dollars had five carries for 16 yards. Noah Whittington, 10 carries for 66 yards. And uh, Bucky Irving, 10 carries for 32 yards. So not really like a, a standout day on the ground running the ball for anybody on this team. Noah Whittington led the team with 66 rushing yards, but... Um, this was more of a, you know, an air raid kind of a game for Oregon. Now that I think about it, 174 total yards on 40 carries uh, for 174, 174 yards. I already said that. And, and three touchdowns on the ground, all coming from Bo Nix. Um, so I think that 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 play with uh, Jordan James, he got stopped uh, short on the fourth and two. I want to say it was that was deep in uh, Cal territory. So that's definitely a play that they want back. But Every week, they just do what they can to get a lot of guys involved. Still no Byron Cardwell, um, but he did practice all week. So uh, kind of interesting that we we didn't see more of him, uh, especially after we heard that he was, you know, uh, he's recovering from an injury. And uh, I think Landing was saying a couple weeks ago, you know, basically like, you know, we're, we're here for him. We fully support him. But now it's just kind of on him. Uh, it sounds like, you know, when, when his body feels ready to to go, you know, we hope to see him back contributing for us on, on the field. So um, another day with, with four backs being involved, we saw the 14 J formation with uh, Jordan James used once again. Um, but overall, just a, a really, really solid day from, um, from the Oregon running backs, seeing how they were able to just impact this game through the air. I think that it was a little shocking, not shocking, but it was surprising to see, it was kind of a quiet 174 yards, uh, but it was fun to see them just have such an impact through the air and the offense fire on all cylinders in the passing game. Uh, definitely something that uh, that you love to see. Uh, Larry Blinn asks, do you think our new running game success is a result of the SEC influence from the coaching staff? Um, yes and no, I think is, is kind of how I would attack this question because 
the running game has always been the bread and butter for Oregon. And the offensive line was already a major strength going into the season uh, with the guys that were previously recruited to Oregon. Um, the Ducks didn't really have, they didn't lose anybody uh, super major from last year, mainly just George Moore. And then Steven Jones has been banged up for them of late. But um, I don't really think it has to do with the SEC influence from this coaching staff, um, especially with with Adrian Clem um, being a West Coast guy. I don't necessarily think he's kind of, you know, um, an SEC kind of influence. But Oregon was already the physical talent that uh, they already had that physical brand of football uh, that you don't often really see in, in the Pac-12, or at least not in abundance. I think you definitely have to put Utah in that conversation, UCLA in that conversation when they had Charbonnet. Uh, last year with Britton Brown and then they're kind of picking right back up with that this year with a really strong season so far and then USC has been pretty smash mouth and uh, you know dominant as well um, but I thought I saw something really interesting the other day I was a uh, it was a tweet about how Dan Lanning has kind of combined that swag and explosive offense from Chip Kelly with the physical brand that Mario Cristobal established at Oregon so I feel like that's a really good way to kind of describe how this team looks and is playing you know that combination of finesse and speed and skill talent and explosiveness but also having that brand of physicality uh and dominance and you know asserting your will as well uh which has definitely that was just definitely an uh you know credit to adrian clem and the rest of that offensive line staff so oregon's run game success is isn't super new uh they've i think that they're just really trying to hit that mark of being the best running team in the Pac-12, the, the top rushing offense in the Pac-12. I don't know what the numbers are right now, but just on how based on how they're doing uh, on a week-to-week basis, I think they're squarely in that conversation. Nick P asks, he was sacked, was he not? I think we're talking about Bo Nix there and the offensive line. Uh, I think, yeah, he did get sacked a couple times. Let me see if I can find the um, the stats for that one and see how many sacks were surrendered. Um, yeah, so it says here that that Bo Nix didn't get sacked. At least on Cal, it doesn't give Cal any credit for any sacks, but um, I think he did get brought down a couple times. So um, you know, I guess a little bit surprising to see Oregon um, kind of surrender some pressure there in the backfield. Hopefully, this audio quality is is uh, doing okay because I keep moving the mic while I'm holding it. I'm not used to that. Um, just got to make the most of the the space that I have here in the in the press box. Um, so hopefully, it's not too bad. But yeah, I think I, I don't. The stats aren't saying he was sacked, but I feel like watching this game, I did see him, uh, you know, take some hits in the backfield. So I'm not super worried about it. I mean, Oregon's offensive line isn't perfect. It's still one of the best in the country. Um, and, you know, continue to tune things up. You saw, um, you saw, who was I going to say? You saw Dave Uli get into the game, uh, which was cool. Jackson Powers Johnson got some snaps at center. I feel like the, the plan is still going to be for him to be the center next year uh, after Forsyth leaves. Um, so good to get those guys, uh, so some reps, Josh Connerly continues to get in. Marcus Harper played a pretty good game as well. Uh, we saw Faope Laulu get in there. So overall pretty, pretty solid game from the offensive line, even though Bo Nix did take some hits and I believe he did get sacked. All right, let's see. A uh, comment here from Kapalua7 says the offense looked fairly sluggish, nothing close to what we saw against UCLA. Yeah, I, I would uh, I would definitely be inclined to agree. I wouldn't say for the entirety of this game, but certainly in the first quarter, uh, they started very sluggish. Uh, and then obviously the red zone 
the red zone hardships did did not help things at all. Um, but they, they they got their they, you know they got their thing they got it going and uh, maybe they they didn't look super explosive like we've seen the past couple of weeks, but they did put up a ton of yards. I believe I saw I was talking to James Crepia of the Oregonian and he was talking to our group. And uh, the, one of the big stats that he dug up was that uh, this is the most yards Cal has ever surrendered under Justin Wilcox, who obviously hangs his hat on the defense. Uh, and that's kind of his calling card. So even though it was a, a little bit of a sluggish start, I think it's it's pretty surprising to see that Oregon put up 586 total yards of offense, considering that they didn't score in the first quarter. This could have been such an uglier game than it was 42 to 24, uh, you know, Cal had actually pulled Jake Plummer and put Kai Milner, their um, their backup in uh, on uh, in that game, and he was actually doing pretty well. But granted, Oregon's backups were in. You had that play where Kamari Terrell, uh, he was he was actually over there towards that sideline towards the end of the game, and he he fell down, uh, and that was a, a touchdown for the the Golden Bears. So I, I think that um, even though the offense looked a little bit sluggish, I'm, I'm not super worried about them. I think they did a good job. Bo Nix did a good job of just kind of rallying the troops after they got off to that slow start. And, and clearly they got into a groove as this game went on. All right. Question here. Did you report on Coda? Um, yeah, not, not really a whole lot of new news for, for Chase Coda. He was banged up in the first quarter of this game and um, didn't, and he exited the game and didn't come back. We saw him on, in the second half uh, in street clothes. And Dan Lanning was asked about an update on Chase Coda after the game, and he didn't really have anything uh, to share with us on that one. So we'll have to probably ask him that on Monday when he has his weekly press conference before the Ducks play the Colorado Buffaloes next week on the road in Boulder. Uh, I was walking to the press conference and I actually did see Chase and he had a, a, a brace on his right hand. Uh, but for what it's worth, I, I don't believe that that's new. Uh, I think he's been having that for, for a couple weeks now. So um, it looked like it was probably his knee that, uh, that hit that, you know, got the, that took the hit. Um, so I feel like, you know, we, we have to see kind of how he looks in practice next week, kind of what some of the reports are there. Um, but I think that his knee took a hit and it was on the, like he, his foot was planted. So, and the, the defender's helmet kind of went into his leg knee area. So not the best thing to see there, but, uh, you know, Oregon still did a good job of getting production from other guys. Uh, Troy Franklin did a good job. Chris Hudson, I thought, did a great job after uh, he dropped that uh, touchdown, what would have been a touchdown uh, catch if, if he caught it. You know, he was bobbling that one. But uh, let's see the other numbers here in the receiving game for the Ducks. Uh, you had um, Chris Hudson with four catches for 67 yards. Uh, that was tied with Noah Whittington from a yardage perspective. Bucky Irving with three for 61. How about Maliki Matavau? Three for 45, and he had that big one that he just barely grabbed off of the turf. I thought that Oregon just, with Chase Cota being out, he's the clear number two wideout on this team, but Troy Franklin did really well, and um, and so did Chris Hudson. I thought Chris Hudson had some awesome plays, had that 25-yard grab over the middle, and then the, the, the tight ends were super super involved in this one. Uh, Patrick Herbert got his first touchdown, uh, which I thought was great to see, um, you know, for a guy that's battled injuries as long as he has. And then Cam McCormick got another touchdown last week against UCLA. Um, and then, yeah, so we saw Terrence Ferguson involved as well. So I think that Chase Coda exiting, obviously not something that you want to see, but Oregon's depth really showed. 
uh, especially with the way that the running backs stepped up. We saw some more two back sets. We saw Oregon bringing in three tight end, two, three tight ends um, to kind of uh, make up for, for Coda's absence in this one. So hard to tell. We don't want to speculate too much on injury. I'm just kind of trying to share what I have with you guys uh, on that front when it comes to injuries. All right, let's see here what else we got. We are going to talk about the backs. We got to talk about some defense. So give me just a second. We're going to go ahead and take a quick break here on the Ducks Dish podcast. For those of you guys listening to us on the audio platform, and we'll be back with more Oregon versus Cal immediate reaction and breakdown live from California Memorial Stadium after this. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. All right, welcome back to the Ducks Dish podcast. We are here uh, live, like I said, from California Memorial Stadium. Uh, I was really excited to do this show just to kind of have the the stadium behind me and, and do it from the press box. Definitely want to keep improving the show and doing new things to, uh, you know, bring you guys quality content. Um, but we're going to go ahead and switch gears a little bit. We've talked mostly about the offense so far in this show. So let's go ahead and talk about the Oregon defense. Uh, I thought that the Oregon defense... You know, the it, the stats don't tell the entire story, but just kind of off the top, 402 yards of offense for Cal. Cal definitely has one of the lesser offenses in the Pac-12 uh, with Jack Plummer. I don't feel like he's a super special quarterback. Jaden Ott, as a running back, you know, he's been one of their go-to guys. A lot of teams have been stacking the box to kind of limit his impact so far this year. Um so I think that going into this game, obviously Oregon had to stop the run and they did a good job of, of that 74 rushing yards for Cal. I think that Oregon's average right now is right around 99 and or hundred. Uh, so seeing that they're hovering around that average, I thought that was a good mark for them. Just 2.8 yards per rush for Cal. Um, let's see here. What else do we have? 328 yards through the air, a 64% completion rating. 
for the Cal quarterbacks with an 11.7 yards per completion. I think one of the one of the concerning things that we saw in this game for Oregon is that they continue to get uh, you know kind of beat up by the explosive play. We had one that was to uh, Jerem, uh, sorry, it was a uh, what was his name, Jamichael Sturdivant. Um, that uh, was one of the best receivers for Cal. That was an explosive play that we saw from him. He was leading. Uh, he was one of the leading receivers with six catches for seventy-one yards. And then Jeremiah Hunter also got involved and Maven Anderson was, was a factor. So Oregon keeps getting beat over the top. And I think part of that has to do with the pass rush, but on one of the big deep plays that they had, uh, you know, Jack Palmer did take a pretty big hit. So Oregon's Oregon's secondary continues to be, uh, you know, a work in progress, I think is, is what I'll call it because, and I, I think that's probably a fair assessment of it. I don't want to say it's a major concern, although it is kind of the weakness of the defense, just the passing defense overall, Bennett Williams made some really nice plays. Brian Addison had an interception. I thought that was a, an awesome way for Oregon to start. They had, um, they had, uh, and I think Brian Addison picked off the second pass that Jack Plummer threw in this game. Um, so it was important for them to start fast like that from a defensive standpoint, but the offense obviously wasn't able to take advantage of that. So that contributed to the overall slow start that the uh, Ducks had on offense in, in this one. Um, and then there was another interception uh, that Triquez Bridges had where it looked like Jack Palmer just threw it right to him, but you got to take advantage of those of those plays when you have the opportunity to, to turn the other team over. Um, and then as far as the, the pass rush goes, we got to talk about that a little bit because it was a heck of a game from DJ Johnson from a defensive standpoint. He did leave the game twice just uh, after going down for a little bit, but looking at some of the defensive numbers, let's talk about DJ Johnson's game. Uh, three total tackles, two sacks, and one pass breakup. He actually had, a, I think, on the pass breakup that he had, it, it went right through his hands, and he had a chance to intercept it. And then Jamal Hill got the uh, Jamal Hill got his hand on a ball as he was kind of falling back, and, and it was tough for him to grab it. So I think that I was expecting a little bit of a better day from the uh, Oregon pass rush, seeing that uh, DJ Johnson was the only guy that finished with any sacks. But four tackles for loss, two interceptions, and four pass breakups is is, is pretty good. Uh, I think other than that uh, big explosive passing play on Christian Gonzalez, I thought that he had a pretty solid game. He had a uh, he had a blocked field goal in this one, so it was nice to see the special teams be special and make an impact uh, in this game. Um, so I think that they they did play a good a good game overall on defense. And um, let's see who else can we talk about in this one. I think that Noah Sewell was flying all over the field. Uh, as he always does, he peered his head in the press room after the game and just said hi to us. So I thought that was funny. Uh, seven total tackles, four solo, and uh, one breakup, pass breakup for Noah Sewell. So I think that um, he's obviously the, the best linebacker on this team. You don't need me to tell you that. But um, even though he maybe isn't stuffing the stat sheet on a week to week basis, he's still having a pretty strong season. Uh, a lot of people want to continue to, you know, pick apart the, the defense and pass coverage. And, and that's. I think that that's it's not so much that these guys that Oregon doesn't have the talent to have an effective pass defense. It's just that it's not working all in sync. You know, the pass rush and the coverage work hand in hand. That's kind of what Christian Gonzalez was talking about when he was uh, when we were talking to him after this game. So I think you just continue. We want to continue to see that growth from Oregon as a defense. Um, let's see who, who else kind of stepped up. Brandon Dorless had a pretty solid game as well. Uh, four total tackles, three solo, and one tackle for loss. 
and uh, th they had a good game from Keanu Williams too. Like I was talking about him a little bit earlier. So I think that, you know, from a statistical standpoint, maybe not the best showing for Oregon as a defense, uh, especially with how limited Cal was as an offense. But I think that this was one of the better skill groups that Cal had as an offense uh, in recent years. Still a pretty young team uh, with, with some of those guys on, on their uh, offense that I mentioned. Um, like with Jim Michael Sturdivant uh, and Jeremiah Hunter, Maven, Maven Anderson, maybe they'll, maybe they'll, you know, continue to improve. I think that they, one player, we got a spotlight a little bit for some of his strong play with Steve Stevens. Uh, he had, I remember he, one of his best plays of the game came, uh, when Cal was driving into the red zone and they took a stat, uh, took a shot to tight end Kalecki Latu, Latu and Steve Stevens broke up the pass and, uh, forced Cal to, um, force Cal to settle for a field goal. I think that was on their uh, first drive into the red zone. Yeah. Good, good uh, point here from T2 saying that a bunch of uh, the Cal yardage came in trash time. And I think that garbage time. And I think that that was a good point that I was talking to someone about earlier this week is it's, I think that the stats obviously don't tell the whole story, but a lot of Oregon stats defensively have come uh, at least the teams they're playing, I should say, uh, some of those stats come in, in garbage time or when Oregon's already blowing the other team out and then both teams are putting in their second units. So I think that's a, a, another thing that we have to keep in mind here. You kind of have to take some of these numbers with a grain of salt, uh, given that uh, Oregon has been able to put a lot of teams, excuse me, sorry about that. They have been able to put a lot of teams away early on uh, or you know before the fourth quarter. Um, you know, perfect example was that touchdown where Kamari Terrell fell down and then uh, Cal was able to cash in with a, with a long touchdown. So I think that's a good point. A good thing you have to keep in perspective here, uh, seeing that uh, the Oregon defense is, is still trying to, you know, kind of, I don't know if I would say find their identity. Maybe that's too drastic to say at this point, but Oregon's defense is still a work in progress and they're still trying to find the right combination. They're still moving a lot of guys around in the secondary. Uh, Dante Williams is, is getting uh, a lot of playing time. Tricos Bridges is getting a lot of playing time. Brian Addison, uh, Steve Stevens, Bennett Williams is getting play time, Jamal Hill as well. So I'm still kind of trying to figure out whether I like Oregon having that many pieces rotating around all the time uh, throughout the secondary. Do you want more of a consistency there from the from the personnel standpoint? Uh, Bennett Williams continues to shine as a nickelback as well when, when the Ducks go into that formation. So I thought that that was good to see because um, he's one of the more steady guys that they have in that secondary um, trying to think if there's any kind of final thoughts that I have here for, for Oregon's defense, uh, as they continue to, uh, try to improve. I think that for what I was hoping to see in this game, I thought that one of my bigger focuses for these next two weeks for, for Oregon was domination. And I think you saw that in a couple different ways, but I was really looking to see that on the defensive end. I like that you see the turnovers. I like that you see DJ Johnson getting home. Um, hopefully he's doing all right since he got shaken up a couple times, but, um, it doesn't look like he was taken out of the game, but, uh, obviously you did see that he was, uh, down in the field, uh, shaken up a, a little bit. Um, but I think that overall the, the defense continues to improve a little bit. I'm glad they were able to get home and, um, they, they looked all right in pass coverage. Maybe that's a, a good, a good place to leave it for the, uh, secondary. So those are kind of my thoughts on the Oregon defense against Cal. I think we got some more uh, some more uh, comments here. 
Um, Kabalua asked, what was the attendance for today's game? It looked so, so yeah, the Cal announced that the number, uh, the official number was, I think 37,077. Um, but man, let me tell you guys, I was at this game obviously. And, and, or it kind of felt like an Oregon home game at times. Maybe it was the, the Oregon band being really loud, but you saw plenty of green and yellow sprinkled throughout the stands in this game. Um, Cal also has a really cool, uh, kind of just the mountainside, I guess, or the hillside. There were some folks that were, were hanging up there and they just kind of were able to look down on the game. So I thought that was really cool and uh, a unique, you know, unique place, um, unique setting. I think another thing too, just when we're looking at Cal, I saw my first game here in 2018 and now I've been able to cover games at Stanford and at Cal. I think I, I would probably go with the better, um, I'd say that Stanford's the better setting in, in my opinion, but yeah, I think that the the number was a little bit inflated. I'm not sure if I would say 37,000 uh, is, is what it looked like in this one, but you know how well Oregon fans travel, especially on the West coast and um, how, how big their following is in the Bay area as well. Um, you know, being from out here, I can obviously uh, attest to that. So around 37,000 is what we are looking at for the uh, attendance today. Uh, comment from LNDCRSR81. Bo was running. It didn't look like he was sacked in the pocket. Yeah, I don't think he was. Um, and you know, part of that has to do with just how he plays, his play style. I thought I did a really good job of throwing on the run, uh, navigating the pressure that that Cal was um, was putting on them. I remember that Alex Forsyth was talking about how Cal, he called Cal the most disciplined team in the Pac-12 when it comes to disguising their blitzes, their calls, uh, and certainly as a defense. So even though Cal maybe isn't the best team, I think that they're they're a test for Oregon on defense and they were able to they were able to uh, you know obviously have a pretty solid game when you kind of exclude or try to look past the the first quarter. The first quarter doesn't tell the whole story there obviously when it comes to the uh, the offense. Brian Erickson says our offensive play calling was vanilla this game. Why? Yeah, I think it was a little bit vanilla. Um, maybe not as, as much excitement as you would expect. Um, but I think, I think that they did what they needed to do, right? you got a lot of different guys involved. Um, maybe Troy getting a little shaken up earlier. I know that he, there was a question about Troy Franklin, but he, he played the rest of the second half and I don't think that he's injured right now, but obviously he's one of those guys that you probably want to kind of proceed with caution with uh, as the, as a coaching staff, seeing that he's the uh, bona fide wide receiver one for this team. Um, so I think that, yeah, I think that maybe the play calling was a little bit vanilla based on what we saw from, from UCLA. Maybe, maybe that's a good, a good reason that the offensive play calling looked a little bit vanilla because they, wanted to pull out the stops and, and do some, some more trickeration or some more complicated play calling against the Bruins that have a, uh, one of the best defenses in the Pac-12. That was a huge game. Maybe there was some stuff that they were waiting, um, they were waiting to use against UCLA. Uh, we saw, you know, the, the pump fake tunnel screen and then the deep pass to Terrence Ferguson in this one in that game against UCLA. Um, and the tight end continue, tight ends continue to have an impact in this offense, which I think is part of what makes it so fun to watch. So I guess it looked a little bit vanilla play calling, but maybe it's just because those plays were working. And when you find something that works, you don't need to uh, you don't need to go you don't need to deviate away from it too much. All right, T two asks: Is Florence in the doghouse? Seems to be limited lately. 
no, I, I wouldn't say he's in the doghouse, at least not from what I've known. Um, I think that, um, I don't know. I, I'm kind of curious why we didn't see more of him seeing that uh, some of the guys were, were getting burnt at, at times in the secondary. I think that he's someone that they need to continue that, like that. This is a game that I think that he would have really benefited from getting a lot of snaps in seeing that um, seeing that they you know put that game away relatively early uh, and a lot of callous success came in garbage time. But maybe I just didn't see him as much as I was expecting to out there or I missed him a little bit. I was going to get coffee and some snacks and coming back uh, a little bit throughout the game. So maybe I missed him, but I didn't see too much of Florence in this one either, but I don't think that he's limited. And I certainly don't think he's in the doghouse. Um, Dennis Mackey, he's a regular on the show. He says, we need to blow the doors off of Colorado in all phases as a tune-up for Washington. Yeah, maybe that's a good way to segue into kind of looking ahead a little bit uh, in this show. So Oregon 7-1 and on the year now, 5-0 and in Pac-12 play. And then now they get ready for uh, a game against Colorado on the road. Colorado is the doormat of the Pac-12. There's no other way to put it. Although this Cal team lost to Colorado. So just imagine if Oregon would have lost to this Cal team, there definitely would have been some reason for panic. Um, but they were able to put put them away at seven straight games now, scoring 40 or more points as an offense. Uh, the offense is definitely not the concern there. But I, I agree, Dennis. I think that uh, Oregon definitely needs to make a statement against Colorado. Didn't make too much of a statement here other than that they can overcome a slow start. I don't think that this was just, this was, you know, too, too amazing of a game um, in terms of just making a statement and, and showing what you can do showing, I think just maybe, maybe I think the statement that they made in this game is that they didn't do as much playing down to their opponent as they did last year. That game, this game against Cal last year was a little scary. You remember, you know, in Autzen that, that came down to that last drive, uh, with Chase Garbers and then Verona McKinley, I think, came up with some pressure. It's either Verona or KT, I can't totally remember. But um, Oregon definitely needs to show up, uh, and they took care of business against Cal. Somebody's calling me. Uh, oh, can't take the call right now. Apologies for that. Obviously not going to take a call while I'm on the on the show. But, yeah, Oregon should do just fine against uh, Colorado. There's not a whole lot of uh, weapons there. Um, I think that uh, that's these are kind of two tune-up games because you know that Oregon's back half of the season with their schedule against uh, against Washington and uh, Utah. Those are going to be some tough games for them. Uh, I thought that the bye week came at a really good time, and I think compared to some other schools, it, it didn't come at the best time, especially with how much they were winning. Uh, but you know, you take your bye week when you can, and you just try to be effective with it. So. They have the bye week, and then they had that big game against UCLA, took care of business against Cal, and then now you have to hit the road to, again, to travel to Colorado. So hitting the road is never easy, but I think that you really see how good of a team you are when you head away from your home stadium, from your fans, and from all those com- those, all the elements of comfort, so to speak. Um, and I can't wait to be back in Eugene for that Washington game. That is going to be so much fun. I'm, I'm missing the uh, I'm missing the cold weather in Long Beach. It's I'm waking up in the morning and it's like in the mid 50s and that feels cold now. But I want some rain. I want to see those trees in Eugene and breathe in that fresh air. But yeah, definitely uh, excited for that Washington game. Question says: does, does the Cal Athletic Department treat you podcasters well? Yeah, they definitely do. Uh, I reached out to them before this game saying that I wanted to do this kind of a setup for my show. And uh, they were super helpful. Um, had some good food, some good snacks 
everyone was nice. So no, no uh, complaints there. Nathaniel says, why do we always give up second half points? The defense plays softer and the second half touchdowns are not a good look. Yeah, I think I think I see where you're coming from, but a lot of that has to do with the fact that they get up early and then they're able to kind of take their foot off the gas a little bit. So maybe that's just something that the coaching staff wants to do. I mean, it was never it was never to the extent of, oh, we're we're worried that Cal's gonna come back and and, and beat Oregon in the second half, but you do want to use those big leads to get some of these developmental guys in, some of these younger guys in. Um but um I think that Oregon's doing a better job of playing complete games. Dan Lanning said after the game that we haven't played our best yet. And that's absolutely true. Not only from the, the, the poor start in this game, um, <coughs> excuse me. Um, not only from the poor start in this game, but just how they had some inconsistencies throughout. Uh, but they were obviously able to, you know, put up more points and that's what you got to do. Um, and, and you got to get some stops. And I think that what were the third down numbers in this one? Cal was four for 15 on third down in this game, but they were also two for two on fourth down. So you can't, you know, you can't look past that stat, but I think four for 15 on third down is definitely solid. Uh, Oregon had that, that was an area that they needed to improve the entire year, especially from last year. Um, the third down defense last year was, was pretty bad for Oregon. And now you get, this team is doing, I think a pretty good job of getting off the field. Maybe they're not as consistent in that category as they want to be, as they need to be, but they're doing a good job of getting off the field on third down. Um, I think the second half points have to do with getting some of the backups in, honestly, um, because let's see. How was the, the final score here? from? Yeah, so Cal scored 14 points in the second half. This one was 21 to 10 at halftime. Cal got shut out in the third quarter. So with 14 of those second half points, all of the second half points came in the fourth quarter. Oregon was, was, uh, let's see, Oregon was up 28 to 10 at the start of the fourth quarter. So you got to take advantage of having that lead and, and getting some of your other guys in. So I don't think, uh, I don't think I'm too concerned about that. Another comment here says in terms of the Heisman watch, Nick held his position in the rankings. The two picks didn't help. Yeah. The two picks don't help. Obviously. I mean, I, I don't think, I think that the second one was just garbage time. It was a hail Mary. I don't think you can fault him for that. Uh, you just try to get the ball into the end zone to try to get some points. I, I did like uh, their approach, you know, landing called a timeout to try to see how much time he could still have on the clock to put some more points up on the board, even with Oregon getting the ball uh, to start the second half. So I think that the first interception was honestly a bizarre play when he tried to fire at Troy Franklin. And I thought that he was getting wrapped up and tackled. And there was a guy that was kind of laying on him and looked at the ball was just kind of staying there for, for lack of a better uh, letter, better phrase. Um, so that was a really bizarre pick. The first one was a bizarre one. I don't think it was one of those Bono uh, moments um, that people have talked about and that we've obviously seen from some of his struggles during his time at Auburn. But Bo's doing a really good job of taking care of the ball. Um, I don't think he, Lenny was saying that he didn't think there were a lot of, uh, putting the ball in jeopardy moments for, for Bo Nix in this game. Um, so he's doing a good job of picking his spots. Uh, and we saw some, some deep throws as well. Uh, I'm trying to think of what the deepest pass play on the day was. Um, let me see if I can find it here. Um, longest passing play of the day was 40 yards to Patrick Herbert, um, which was, he caught it kind of. I'd say around 15 to 20 yards and then he ran the rest of the way. So we didn't see Bonex push the ball as much as we have these recent weeks. Um, but we know that's a tool that they have in their toolkit. We know that's something that this offense is good at. 
Um, but they just didn't really need to utilize it too much today. I think that they were trying to utilize it, but Chris Hudson bobbled that ball uh, and wasn't able to bring it in. So that kind of would have been a good example of it. Um, and then Troy Franklin had a 17 yard, a 17 yard long. Bucky Irving had a 29 yard long. Uh, and then Maliki Montevel had that awesome catch 24 yards in this game. So uh, I don't think that, uh, you know, I don't think that it did um, it did him a disservice. Um, certainly want to make sure that you take care of the ball moving forward, uh, but still really solid game from Bo Nix. I mean, over 400 yards of offense uh, through the air uh, and, you know, 60 or so yards on the ground. So not too worried. I think he, yeah, you could probably say he about held uh, in terms of the Heisman watch. All right, let's see. Uh, Nathaniel says, looking ahead slightly, the playoff committee is going to look at the way you finish games. And I can think of four games that second half points we have given up could hurt later. Yeah, I think that that's a good point. I, but you also have to look at when those second half points are coming. And, and is Oregon's first team defense still in the game at that point? Um, I know we, we are looking ahead with uh, the I think the first playoff rankings are supposed to come out uh, in the next couple of days or, or sometime next week. Uh, and I expect Oregon to definitely be in the conversation. I mean, they're so they're eight right now. I could see them. I could see them being around six or seven, maybe, uh, in the uh, playoff rankings. Maybe we see how they do next week against Colorado. But I saw some tweet from somebody, and and they this guy was saying, I'm, if I'm looking at teams that can maybe beat Georgia or be competitive, I'm paraphrasing here. I think that he listed Oregon as one of those teams. I think it was Oregon, Ohio State, and, and one other team. So this Oregon team has obviously changed a whole lot since uh, week one of, of the season against Georgia. Uh, and I, I don't know if you guys saw Dennis Dodd's interview with Bo Nix, but Bo Nix was saying that he thinks that uh, this Oregon team could beat Georgia if the two teams played again. Uh, I don't know how you guys feel about that. I'm not so sure that they, I think they would be a lot more competitive, but I don't know if they would necessarily win, uh, especially with the, uh, the, the defense playing that the way, the way that it is. So, I don't know. I mean, the second half points are, are, are definitely like a valid concern, I guess, or a valid knock for the committee to have on Oregon. But you have to look at when those points are coming. Uh, and, you know, if they're they're still finishing games, you know, relative, like 18 point win, they were favored by 17. So they cover the spread in this one. Sorry about that, guys. My connection dropped for some reason, but but I'm back. Uh, Steve's question. What's the word on the injuries? Uh, no, no new updates really on the injury front following this game for Oregon. Um, you know, the biggest one that we're waiting to see is, is Chase Coda and, and what his availability is going to be like, um, in the, in the near future here, certainly, uh, headed into the Colorado game. Um, Troy Franklin looked like he was okay after getting banged up a little bit earlier. Um, and Steven Jones, I think, is someone that we have to watch here, especially with Oregon getting ready to head into a pretty rough slate of games to end the season with games against Washington, Utah, Oregon State. You need to, you want to have those guys back. But uh, even though Steven Jones hasn't been available for a while for Oregon, there hasn't been a, much, a bunch of drop-off on the offensive line. Um, we've seen Marcus Harper do a great job manning down that left guard spot. Jackson Powers Johnson got some, some good snaps today, and I thought he looked really good. Uh, so having Steven Jones back maybe for the Washington game could be could be good time for a return. I'm not saying that that's what I think is going to happen. I don't have any reason to believe that that is when it's going to happen. 
Uh, I don't like to speculate into, on injuries because, you know, you can dig yourself into a hole pretty quickly, but he wasn't wearing the boot. He was, uh, you know, he made the he made the the trip with Oregon and he was, you know, on the sideline, super energized and fired up and, and not wearing a boot. So at least walking around well um, with it being, you know, a lower body injury, um, you know, leg foot injury. I don't think we ever got any specifics on uh, on his injury. He's Dan Lanning's been pretty pretty buttoned up on the injury front, especially when it comes to Steven Jones, uh, since he got injured earlier on. Uh, so yeah, not, not really any big news on the injury front. Let's see what else we got here. Um, all right. Uh, let's see. Brian says Herbert getting a touchdown was awesome. He works so hard with other responsibilities. He deserves it. And a couple more. Yeah. I asked Dan Lanning about the tight ends and he was just talking about, he was complimenting their ability to just be an unselfish group. And, uh, you know, it's one guy's day, another day, and then someone else is coming in and it's, it's their day or, uh, you know, the play is called for a certain tight end. And I just love seeing how much the tight ends are utilized after what it's been like the past couple of years, because we know how talented that room has been. There was a lot of praise around Maliki and Terrence when they came in in the recruiting ranks. And I mean, when I, when I saw those guys in fall camp after they had arrived, um, I was just, you know, blown away at how big they were for, for true freshmen, you know, both guys, six, five, six, six, 240, 250 pounds. And then you're seeing Cam McCormick have a really strong season as well. Patrick Herbert shining like he did today. Um, also being used as a fullback in that 14 J formation. Maybe we'll see him get the ball on a handoff uh, and maybe used in like a little bit of a Travis Kelsey type of role. Cause Travis Kelsey runs the ball for the chiefs. Sometimes we saw Maliki Montevao run the ball a couple of weeks back. So love seeing the tight ends do their thing. Um, but I'm probably going to wind down here in a few minutes. So if you guys have any last minute questions or, or comments you want to throw out there, make sure you uh, get them in the live chat and I'll see if I can include it in the show. All right, let's see what game they got on here. Colorado, oh, Boise State and Colorado State. It's always cool looking at the other monitors to see what uh, what other games they have going on. Not a whole lot of folks still still left here in the press box. It's already 6 o'clock. That's insane. I got here at like 1030. Um, but yeah, so I guess just some final remarks on this game. Um, Oregon's still working to play uh, their most complete game of the year um, or just play a complete game more consistently. I think that's what they're looking for. Um, the offense, even though it sputtered, I think it was kind of a growth moment for them, seeing that they needed to kind of dig themselves out of that hole a little bit with uh, with the slow start that they had. Um, even though it wasn't the strongest day from a statistical standpoint for for the defense, I think they did do a good job when all of the all of the starters were in. Justin Flo got some playing time, and I think he had some missed tackles, but he always has that energy. So I'm really I'm going to be interested to see kind of what his decision is regarding the NFL draft. Um, I mean, he hasn't been able to stay healthy for a full season yet. Uh, he's kind of missed some time here and there, uh, but this is the most consistent he's been for uh, for a while. Um, so I think for him, it would make more sense to come back after um, after this season. But obviously, we still have some more football to play before we um, before we uh, look to you know NFL draft consideration and and what uh, next year's team is going to look like. Uh, but overall, solid game for Oregon. 42 to 24 win uh, had to come away with a win. You get a win on the road, which is always good. Um, and Lanny was saying, I never want to come off like uh, I'm upset with a win. 
but uh, still need to play that complete game. That's obviously still what they're uh, still what they're looking for. Skoducky asks, was the atmosphere as bleh as it came off on TV? Uh, yeah, I thought the atmosphere was all right here. Like I said, I don't know how long you've been on watching this uh, this episode, but there was a it, it kind of felt like it was split pretty evenly between Cal and Oregon fans. Uh, we know how loud Oregon fans get, especially when they're playing well. So uh, Oregon traveled really well. I had some people on uh, on my Twitter. I was asking where they're traveling in from. I had some from Lake Tahoe, from from Sacramento. Some people were coming in from Bend. One person said they were flying in from Indianapolis, I believe. So the, the Oregon fan base obviously travels really well. Um, not a full stadium. Uh, I think there was another funny tweet that just referenced that it wasn't a crazy atmosphere and it wasn't like a, a good, um, you know, a good sign for the Big Ten expansion efforts. But uh, but overall, it was it was it was a fun time out here. I think that it's uh, you know with Stanford, it's also kind of a, an underrated setting. You got the beautiful hillside. You got the trees here. Some people who have these houses here, they got a they got a nice setup. But Berkeley is really really cool. Uh, overall, especially getting to travel. So I think that uh, I would definitely encourage people to come see a game here if they haven't before. Um, I'm not saying it's, you know, on the level of, of Autzen Stadium and, uh, you know, how amazing that atmosphere is. Um, but Oregon's going to be playing Cal and Eugene next year, at least as of right now. Uh, but good for Oregon to get a win, considering the last time they played here, they didn't win in 2020 during the uh, pandemic year and, and uh, the COVID-shortened season. So Important for them to get back on track and uh, get a win on the road. So next week they're playing Colorado. Let's see. I don't know if they announced when that game is uh, is going to actually be played. Do we have a kickoff time for that one yet? Hold on. Let's see here. Looking for a schedule to see when they when they kick off against uh, the Buffs, the worst team in the Pac-12. Now I got my Niners to watch tomorrow. They're playing the Rams. All right. Um, still haven't announced kickoff time for Colorado next week, so we'll we'll see what happens there. Um, but, yeah, cool to uh, – just wanted to talk about the atmosphere, but I think that'll do it for us here on this episode of the Ducks Dish Podcast. We went right around an hour. Um, really fun to be covering this team in person. As you guys know, I live in Long Beach now, so I don't get to go to as many games as I want to. Uh, but I'll be back in Eugene for the Washington game. Uh, so hopefully I'll be able to see some folks and um, say hi to some fans and see what else is going on. I always love to connect with the Duck community. If you guys want to follow me and find more of me, you can follow me on Twitter. At mtorresports is where you can find me. Make sure to follow me. Lock in with me there. That's where you can find my quickest updates. If you guys are watching live on YouTube, do me a favor. Hit the like button and subscribe to the channel. Make sure you hit the notification bell so that you don't miss out on future live shows. Love doing the post-game reaction show. Uh, and then I also have a lot of new recruiting stuff uh, up on the uh, up on the site. I have my, my Fox Sports Eugene radio hit talking about Oregon recruiting. So if you guys haven't listened to that, go check it out. It's also available on the podcast feed. And then last but not least, go, go on over to uh, DucksDigest.com to find the latest Oregon written content and uh, recruiting interviews and analysis. Um, and then the biggest way you can support the show, share the Ducks Dish podcast, share it with friends, share it with family, share it with other Duck fans. Uh, we're just continuing to grow the community here at the Ducks Dish podcast and here on YouTube at Oregon Football Max Taurus. But you guys have been awesome. Thank you so much for the support. Thank you guys for stopping by. 
and we will see you guys in the next episode of the Ducks Dish Podcast. Did you know a 2018 study showed half of prenatal vitamins tested had unacceptable levels of heavy metals? I'm Kat, mother of three and founder of Ritual. When I was four months pregnant, I couldn't find a prenatal I could trust, so I created my own. Ours is made traceable, third-party tested for heavy metals, and recently earned the Purity Award from the Clean Label Project. But don't just take my word for it. Get 25% off at ritual.com prenatal.